Welcome to Innovation Files. I'm Rob Atkinson, founder and president of the Information Technology and Innovation Foundation. We're a DC-based think tank that works on technology policy. And I'm Jackie Wisman. I handle outreach at ITIF, which I'm proud to say is the world's top-ranked think tank for science and technology policy. This podcast is about the kinds of issues we cover at ITIF, from the broad economics of innovation to specific policy and regulatory questions about new technologies. And today we're talking about workforce education. Our guests today are Sanjay Sarma and Bill Bonvillian. Sanjay is Vice President for Open Learning and a Mechanical Engineering Professor at MIT. Bill is a lecturer at MIT on science, technology, and society, and a longtime member of ITIF's board. They're the authors of a new book, Workforce Education, A New Roadmap, and we're excited that they're here to talk about this. Welcome. Thank you. Thank you very much. So I wanted to start, what do we mean when we say workforce education? Can you define it for us to kick things off? I can start, and it's, and it's a good question. You know, if, if you asked a European what workforce education is, they know, right? They have a picture of what it is. You ask an American, you know, they know what high school is. They know what college looks like. They know what a community college looks like. Ask them what a workforce education is. You're going to draw a blank stare. This is a real issue. We don't have good systems in the U.S., to move from the learning system, the education system, into, you know, into the workplace. There was a real disconnect between work and learn. And it's a deep problem here. And part of what we were writing about in the new book is an attempt to reconnect those, to put those two pieces back together again and create clear pathways to good jobs. Some some professions have it a little bit clearer. If you're a nurse or a doctor or a pilot, you know what it means to upgrade your knowledge. There's a certificate or a credentialing pathway. But for a variety of uh, industries, that doesn't exist, or it's sort of made up. You know, you go take a course at edX or Coursera or something, but there's really not necessarily a pattern of, of practice. It seems to me this is an issue that's been bubbling up for years. We talk about future of work a lot, but really it feels like it's reached a fever pitch now, given all the job loss during the pandemic. And I know you guys focus on this a bit, and I'd love to get into it a little too. Yeah, yeah. Look, retail is one of those industries which, um, you know, retail is such an important industry in America. It's a job of the first job. It's a job that you take sometimes uh, between other jobs. And it's been devastated by the lack of foot traffic, especially bricks and mortar retail, as a lot of in the industries moved to online or what is called omni-channel, which is partly online, partly in person, order online, pick up in person, you know, go to the store, see the product, have it delivered uh, to your remote uh, by uh, 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 delivery. So what's happening is that in retail, the technology has changed very rapidly. First of all, bricks and mortar is certainly has gone down. And second, it's very technical. You need to operate in a warehouse, sort of very digital warehouse management systems. And this requires a very significant retraining effort for millions of people who either work in retail or could have worked in retail. Bill? Similar deep COVID problems because of restaurant workers, hospitality workers, tourism and travel workers. These sectors are terribly hit. A lot of companies, often small companies, are just not going to come back in these sectors. There's going to be big-time displacement. I mean, after World War II, the country had to cope with the return of 16 million soldiers and sailors, right? And we geared up to do it. We passed the GI Bill. That was a massive workforce education project, and we did it. So something around that scale is really going to be needed here. On the manufacturing side, 
Manufacturing has actually held up pretty well, with the exception of the aerospace industry, affected by travel and tourism declines. But there's a big issue in manufacturing because it's an aging workforce. So we're going to have over 2 million retirements this coming decade, it looks like. So there's going to be a significant number of new jobs coming up in that area, too. So, Sanjay, you lead MIT's extensive online learning programs, which uh, I think a lot of people don't know just how extensive they are. And, and I, my understanding is if they're not, if you're not taking it for credit, you can do it for free. Uh, my son's a computer scientist or graduated computer science degree, lives out in California at a firm. And he's taken courses just for his own edification, frankly, that, that weren't offered in his college. I was talking a while back with MIT president, Raphael Reef, and, and we were talking about this and he mentioned a, a guy, uh, I had actually mentioned a guy because I was in the newspaper, some young kid from Mongolia, like 50, I think literally 15 years old. And he, and he took this circuit design course on, on at MIT online course. And he did so well. He was like in the top, I don't know, like 10 or something uh, that MIT gave him a full scholarship and brought him to MIT. And then uh, uh, President Reef said to me, well, there's another guy even better. He's from India and he was even younger. And he did so well, we brought him here. And it was, to me, what an amazing thing of sort of finding the best talent around the world. Those two folks, particularly probably the Mongolian young man, he never wouldn't have built on those talents. So can you say a little bit more about that? You know, what's happening with uh, online education is pretty spectacular because um, MIT itself has reached uh, uh, 4 million unique people almost. edX has crossed 100 million enrollments. And online education is this amazing uh, uh, net that captures talent, right, from around the world. And the story of uh, this young Mongolian man, his name is Batushik Mayanbagar, by the way. And um, and I, you know, I tried to take a selfie with him as he was graduating. Um, but, you know, we discovered his uh, brilliance through this network. The question really is that if we have this thing for catching talent, for giving it an opportunity to rise, we do it in a premium way that if you just want the content, it's free. If you want to get a certificate, you pay a nominal amount. If we have this, why can't we use this within this country? Um, and of course, a lot of people do take, I think more than a quarter of our enrollment is from the United States. But I just feel that the penetration within the United States could be a lot more. And if this became more standardized, if these credentials were more widely accepted, which they are beginning to be by companies, you put it in your LinkedIn page, you know, all that stuff. We think that this could be transformative in answering the question Bill started with. What is the workforce education system? And certainly on the online piece, it could be this. And then you can add in-person sort of, you know, weekend warrior boot camps where if you have to learn something in person, you do the stuff online, you come in, you do it in person. Over time, it'll become more augmented reality, virtual reality. All that stuff has got to happen and will happen. But this is an effort we need to take on like a moonshot. I 100% agree with you on the whole credentialing component. ITIF wrote a report a few years ago arguing that we really need to move towards much more of a you, ha you prove what you know, kind of, as opposed to I have this thing that I went to two years community college, something like that. And that would open up a lot of new avenues like edX courses, boot camps, as you said, a whole set, set of other things. Um, you know, either Bill or Sanjay, how, how, do we, how do we move more in that direction? I know a bunch of employers are, are trying to do that, uh, but it seems to me we've got to have something a little bit more collective in nature, organized in nature, not just one-offs here and there. Sanjay, you want to talk about badging? 
Yeah. So there's a big uh, movement that's been for many years. First of all, there are two different concepts in there. One is something called competency-based education, which is if you can prove you're competent, then do you need to take the course? Can you just prove you're competent, right? And then the other side of it is rec- recognizing the uh, achievement. And that's there's a larger movement there called badging and uh, micro-credentialing. And then, so you need to say, well, this person is competent and here's a certificate that says that they're competent in doing something. Now, we don't have a formal system for it. Some of the stuff also requires observation. You know, you wouldn't take a man off the street or a woman off the street who said, I can fly a plane, right? <laughs> you know, there the badging is more complicated. But you would take someone off the street if they said, listen, here I can program. Here's a programming thing I did. Here's my GitHub repository. You can go see what I built. Here are the apps. Here are the references. So you can prove their competency. So this system needs to be thought through. And then we finally need to have a way to for the person to prove that they're competent. And so one of the things that's happened recently, actually MIT and others are doing it, is digital credentials. So you can actually put a certificate on your LinkedIn page and employer can click on it and prove that you actually uh, received the certificate. So there's a sort of a ecosystem of things we need to do. And right now it's a bit of a wild west. And so companies are having to sort of, you know, go by their gut and say, yep, this counts, but this doesn't. And we need to resolve that. This is one of the gaps in this workforce education, quote, system that we don't really have yet. And it's one of the gaps that needs to be filled. There's been, you know, disinvestment in recent decades by both government and employers in workforce education. And our federal programs have real limits. The Department of Labor's training programs don't really reach the higher oncoming technical skills, like in the IT world or they don't reach incumbent workers, right, that need to acquire them. The Department of Education's programs focus on college education, not on workforce education, and they don't mesh with the Labor Department programs. We've got a vocational educational system in high schools that largely got dismantled back in the 70s and 80s. We've got underfunded community colleges that often lack the resources or equipment to provide advanced training in these emerging fields. Most colleges and universities don't see workforce education as their problem. So they're not very well linked to the other participants in this potential system. So overall, there's a big credentialing gap, but there's these other serious gaps that mean that the education system is disconnected from the workplace. We need to remake these connections. The credentialing issue is interesting to us. For the last few years, we've been doing um, a tech policy kind of boot camp course for Hill staff. And one of the things that our, our graphics person said, you know, we could do this badge on LinkedIn that shows that they completed this ITIF course. And that's the most popular thing about the course. I mean, I'm sure they're getting a lot of knowledge in their seven weeks with us, but the, the credential itself on, on LinkedIn is a huge, huge draw. And it seems like if we can figure that out, so can others. Yeah, but figure it out in a way that's collective in the sense that uh, we all agree to the standards and the practices. Right, Bill? Right. You know, we need credentials that are industry recognized and industry approved so that they can help workers get jobs. Right. So just adding pieces to the kind of Wild West of credentials out there doesn't do it. As you learn from your own experience, ITF is a respected organization that's got respect in the policy community. So that's an enhancer, but we've got too many credentials that don't have this tie back to industry and industry recognition. How do you think that the government can do this in an effective way? Well, I don't think the government particularly should be 
doing it, but what they should be doing is instigating it. So, for example, by creating, first of all, we need to research to figure all this out. And for, you know, just in terms of, I'll give you an example. What does it mean to be a data scientist? We don't have a lot of uh, industry recognized patterns and standards of what it means to be a data scientist, leave alone, you know, um, some other you know, quickly uh, emerging skill. So, what the government needs is, frankly, efforts that uh, build industry and academic. Uh, and other coalitions, nonprofit coalitions, that uh, systematize this um, and create a consensus. Uh, but uh, that takes some heavy lifting. And then the next step is for companies and governments to hire people based on these things, right? That creates a demand. And in terms of the overall system, there is an important role for government at, at a series of levels to be able to play here. States are going to be major actors. States, you know, quote, own a lot of the educational institutions that are going to be key here. Community colleges are going to be cri- critical and states, you know, manage that their community college systems. They're going to have to get more resources and move to the kind of upskilling in the education system that we need. States often abandon their vocational high schools, but new technical high schools could be a very crucial input or bringing technical programs into existing high schools to help in that work-learn barrier. That could be key. That's going to be a state and local role. So it's not simply the federal government trying to make its education department and labor department programs mesh better and reach the incumbent workers and new populations we've got to reach. There's a lot of work that can be done at other governmental levels that are needed. And of course, employers are going to have to be brought into this coalition, right? So there's going to be a joint effort that's required, educational institutions, employers, and state, federal, and and regional government. So, you know, I live in Montgomery County, Maryland, right outside of D.C. And, you know, while while I have, you know, problems with the education system, I've had two kids go through it. uh, It does some things well. And in, in the case of Montgomery County, a number of the high schools actually have um, I don't know what they call them, but but the technical areas where kids can go in there and, and specialize in these areas. Like, for example, Montgomery County is really good in biotech. There's a lot of biotech firms because of NIH. And they have a uh, one of the high schools, Thomas Edison, they have a, an in-depth program to be a biotech technician. And, and you learn all these things, and then you go and you work one day a week at, at one of the biotech companies. It's a fantastic program. But I guess, you know, Bill and Sanjay, I, you know, I've been involved in this, and probably you all have too, you know, a long, long time. And I remember conversations about this in the 90s, in the 2000s, the 2010s, you know, and I'm like, okay, yeah, right. This is great. But I I guess my frustration is we talk about it, we talk about it, we talk about it, and I simply don't see the federal government taking this seriously. And they could take it seriously because your point about, you know, we need to get companies organized to to lead. I 100% agree with that, but I'm I'm waiting for that one. I, I don't see the business roundtable taking the lead, stepping up on that. So how do you allay my frustration? Why should I be hopeful? Well, let me give you some hope to begin with. First of all, uh, unlike the three of you, I'm an expat. I studied in a different country. My mother was a school teacher in India. I have to say that while we have concerns about the American education system, I'm not one to throw the baby out with the bathwater. In fact, there are many things that the American education system does that are really, really good and very unique. Creative thinking, big picture, you know, giving students agency. And I think we need to build on that. The challenge here is leadership in terms of not, le- I mean, it's not, I'm not saying that somehow we don't have good leaders, but leadership in this activity means a lightning rod that brings together the coalition, you know, talks to, you know, willing uh, sort of CEOs of companies to say, let's do a pilot 
and then staying the course uh, through rough times. Because when you do something new, things will succeed, some things will fail. And and really sort of using the magnetic power that various offices give these folks to, um, to build a critical mass so it can be self-sustaining. That is what's been missing, the staying power, the commitment, and, you know, coming out the other end with early successes and then building on it. It is not, this is not something you can solve a flash in the pan in a few weeks or a few months, right? Even the vaccines taken us, you know, a year to do. That was spectacular. This is a 10-year vaccine for society, and it'll take that staying power, right, Bill? We are starting to see a bunch of new models, right? We're seeing community colleges that have developed kind of new programs that are short, that fit the kind of timetable that older adult students have to have programs that will get them to new skill sets in a 10 to 15 or maybe even 20-week time period, not two years. We've seen a growth in this whole credentialing movement. That's going to be one of the building blocks. We've seen a whole new approach in education that Sanjay alluded to earlier, competency-based education, to kind of train for particular skill sets. That's starting to enter you know, the education system. So, Bill and Sanjay, in your book, by the way, which we've been remiss to point out, is an excellent book. It really is, I think, in some way, it's kind of the definitive current take on where we are, what's really innovative, why it's important, and what to do. But, you know, this is really what you're talking about is broad-scale institutional change. Uh, and, and that's never easy. There are always people or institutions who resist that. Oftentimes, universities don't want to do credentialing or they want to you know, be able to keep having students uh, make more money. Uh, you see that in terms of the federal government. I remember years ago, I was involved in helping pass legislation for these regional skills alliances. It would be industry-led. In fact, there was, a, I don't know, 80, $100 million. And unfortunately, the powers that be, including the state workforce boards, put so much pressure on this that the money all went to the Department of Labor. And it really didn't do anywhere near what it should have done because the whole idea was to have industry engagement and labor union engagement, not just to run it through the traditional. How do, you, how do we overcome kind of institutional inertia and, and you know, risk aversion here when we want to move forward with new and bold ideas? We've got a big problem on our hands right now, and we're going to have to tackle it, right? We're going to lose probably more than 10 million people out of existing occupations, which have been nailed by the coronavirus. We have got a major workforce re-education problem right now, right? This is not some abstraction that's going to evolve over a period of decade. We're facing it right now, and it's going to be a very serious problem for a whole bunch of people. And then secondly, we've got a lot of disruption and ongoing upskilling so there is definitely interest in industry in trying to get this problem tackled. Workforce education has now moved to the top of the list for the manufacturing sector in terms of what their overall industrial concern set consists of, right? So we're seeing real concern by industry that they catch up on the IT advances, digital production advances, this whole new suite of technologies is starting to enter the workforce. And if, you know, U.S. productivity rates are in disastrous shape, right? We've had productivity stagnation, as you have written about, for 15 years now. And unless we provide some input that's going to start to change that equation, and one of those inputs is going to be workforce, you know, we're going to be stuck here. So I think there's going to be building pressure to tackle this. In terms of political support, 
there is very strong bipartisan support for these workforce education projects. The political system can't agree on much else, but this one is one they actually can agree on. I think what's missing is a lightning rod, really. I mean, there are lots of ideas out there that Petri is full of creative sort of proteins, you know, just waiting for the lightning to to sort of uh, spur, you know, the first life form. There's lots of very, very, in fact, one of the reasons we wrote the book is to capture the breadth of ideas and the uh, capabilities we have. But uh, to systematize it, we need uh, the pilots to learn from each other. We need a bunch of pilots with an intent to scale them beyond what we're seeing and what we wrote about in our books. What's the most important takeaway about this challenge you think we should close on? I think the key is going to be closing the gap between the education system and the work system. We've really got to close that gap. At, at this point, you know, it's the gap is enormous and students are spun out of the education system with no sense of what their futures will be or where they may want to go. They make absolutely critical decisions at ages 17 and 18 that will be determinative of their future. They decide whether they're going to go to college. That college education turns out to be a key dividing line in these deep problems of income inequality uh, that the country is now facing. Uh, so we're, we're heading into a much more divided class system in the U.S. because because of this work-learn barrier disconnect that we've created. And we really need to close it. And there's got to be much stronger connectivity in the two systems, the work system and the education system. A lot of European countries have solved this, right? They've got those connections in place and they're able to you know, keep building their middle classes. They don't have these these extremes of inequality that is just kind of happening now in the United States in the last 15 years. So I think that's a key political agenda item to keep our democracy healthy and well. And I also think it's a key social problem we got to tackle. And I think it's connected to this workforce education problem. Yeah, I think uh, Bill said it really well. If a young person cannot list what workforce learning options are, and if that connection between study and work is as tenuous as it remains today, we have a problem. And that is the one to address. Thank you so much for being here, Sanjay and Bill. Well, thank you very much. Good to see you both. Sorry for all the hijinks. It seems like today was not a good technological head, as they say. Between MIT and ITIF, we made it work. <laughs> <laughs> and you know, the, the shared uh, two letters are IT. So... <laughs> Well, that is it for this week. If you liked it, please be sure to rate us and subscribe. Feel free to email show ideas or questions to podcast at itif.org. You can find the show notes and sign up for our weekly email newsletter on our website, itif.org. And follow us on Twitter, Facebook, and LinkedIn at ITIFDC. There'll be more episodes and great guests lined up. New episodes will drop every other Monday, so we hope you'll continue to tune in. 